everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. Finding passionate customers and engaging with them often is like the quest for the holy grail for most brands. Soylent, an innovative, sustainable, plant-based nutrition company, has been successful in its efforts, but it has not always been easy. On today's episode, I talked to Demir Vangelov, the CEO of Soylent and a veteran of the plant-based industry. He told me all about the complete rebranding process the company went through and how it's evolved ever since. Enjoy today's episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning at business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Demir, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. So you have had a long stint in the plant-based industry, and I would love if you could highlight a little bit of your journey before coming to Soylent. So I started very early on in the plant-based space with Califia Farms. I was their first CFO and first CEO working for the founder, Greg Stentopol. So that was kind of my first foray. And I was fortunate enough because I actually got to learn and work with one of the, I would say, biggest visionaries in the plant-based space. Unfortunately, Greg passed away recently, so he's no longer with us. But uh, I was able to tap into his knowledge of the industry and consumer and also Together, we were able to build out uh, one of the biggest independent facilities here to produce plant-based milks and uh, shakes and yogurts and whatnot in the country. So um, that kind of led to me then moving on to Soylent, uh, where Soylent takes that notion one step further, where we actually create a complete nutrition in a bottle, not just a beverage, which introduces additional complexity to the manufacturing, to just formulation and product design. Well, so for anyone who doesn't know what Soylent is... Can you explain what it is? 
So Soylent is the original food tech company. Um, we started in 2013 and uh, we started with complete meal shakes. So it came in a powder format, which you can uh, deliver as a shake or as a beverage, or you can put it in a, a smoothie. Today, we have evolved to be a largely uh, ready-to-drink beverage company. We still produce powders, uh, but still um, consistent with our original mission. Our Most of our shakes are complete nutrition, so essentially it has everything that your body needs in the proportions that your body needs, and it has nothing that it doesn't. So we stay away from things that are not scientific, that are not necessary. Uh, think of color. Yep. Well, for example, our strawberry shake is not pink because the color pink does not contribute to your health, so we don't add it. But we do add every other vitamin, mineral, or micro and macro nutrients that your body requires. Very cool. So back in 2015 timeframe, I was out in Silicon Valley, and this was like a huge thing out there. I will say I had never tried it because back then it definitely had different messaging and I would love to kind of get into that because I was reading a lot about how, you know, you came in and then you took over as CEO and you essentially rebranded this company that, from my perspective, was, you know, big in the valley, engineers, I'm not going to eat it all. I'm just going to have Soylent. And so, of course, for me, I'm like thinking about becoming a mom. I'm like, I'll just make my meals. I'm good. I don't want to just like replace them. Also, I love food. You came in and you kind of rebranded this company. I mean, I think when you came in, the margins were maybe not the greatest. It wasn't profitable. And you kind of turn this whole ship around to where now I think I saw like projected sales of over 100 million maybe this year or more. So I just kind of want to dive into that of like what it looked like when you joined the company and what you started implementing. Yeah, great question. Well, the company started in Silicon Valley by four engineers. So that was the natural place for them to start. And uh, it was also one of the biggest uh, at the time crowdsource campaigns for a CPG company. So the whole premise was to be viral, the whole premise to be controversial, and the whole premise was to grow that way in, in this environment. So we used to call them tech bros. Yeah. Okay, I didn't want to say it. I'll let you say it. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but essentially, all the folks that lived in Valley, and uh, they really believe that preparing food and going and doing all the stuff that you need to do around preparing food is a waste of time. They wanted to concentrate on the things that they wanted to do. And so in play right there. So it started as a following. It started as a group. And it was very viral. It was all driven by the blog of our founder, Rob Reinhardt. And uh, that's what created the initial marketing push for the company. And that's what made it really successful to start with. The thing about consumer good companies, though, is that you cannot stay niche forever. And uh, for you to grow, for you to create scale, for you to be competitive, you do need to expand from your initial launch. And from an initial demographic, which doesn't mean that you're moving away from it. That means that you're just becoming more inclusive as a brand and as a product. So um, for a number of years, we were focused on function and really core consumer group. And when I took over, one of the things that we noticed that it was very hard to acquire new consumers with the messaging and the setup that we had. And then the second thing that we were trying to do also is literally figure out how do we reach out to the new consumer? How do we reach out to new demographics, to new geographies, to new places, to people who have never consumed the shake or people who are consuming different shakes and how they think about it? So that's where, for me, that was one of the key things that we need to solve for. So the first thing we did is we removed all of this 
very expensive acquisition marketing that many online brands fall into. And essentially, the cost of acquiring a consumer becomes so high that it's almost impossible to recover that cost with any just one or two new consumers. So we, we reset all of that. We reset how we communicate with consumers. We reset how much money we spent on Google and Facebook and the likes. But then the other thing that is even more important in my mind, we actually redesigned the product. We changed the flavor system. We changed the sugar. We changed our carbs. We changed the way it feels, the way it tastes. And we benchmarked ourselves against any other protein shake out there. We didn't say we're going to be better than plant-based. We didn't say we're going to be better against this one specific brand. We said we want to be the best tasting shake out there. And then we wanted to build on the on the benefits of being a plant-based diet and a better for you and, and all these other good things that we provide. And I think that has really helped us grow into new demographics with new consumers who are mostly concerned with taste and then they're concerned with function. Whereas if you go back years... People were mostly concerned with function and taste came as a secondary piece, uh, which I believe limited us in our growth. So those would be the two main factors that we did, uh, which then enabled us to go to more occasional consumers, uh, to the more impulsive consumer in retail, who is looking at a wall of different beverages. And uh, they're trying to choose one. And then once they choose one, how do you make them come back? And the taste and the function is where it starts playing out. And I think that's where we have seen uh, not only growth in terms of revenue, but we have seen improvements in our financials because consumers are choosing to come to us now versus us trying to convince them very actively or very aggressively to come to the brand and, and try it. Super fascinating. What were some of the more expensive acquisition tactics that you were using that you think other brands kind of fall into? You come from the technology world and you understand Google, Facebook, and Amazon have become extremely good at convincing us how much money we need to spend with them. Uh And they are efficient. Um, They do bring you consumers. And the more money you spend, the more consumers you will see. And that is true. The the hard part to do is to bring the consumers that A, fit your brand, and B, will be with you long enough for you to be able to recover the money that you're spending with them. And I think that's where companies like ours, need to step up and figure it out. And I think a lot of companies get into, well, the algorithm is telling me to do this, or my ad agency is telling me to do that, whereas we're doing the opposite. What we did is we very heavily surveyed our consumers. We very heavily understood the people who are coming to us, and we targeted more of these. So then what we discovered is that towards the end of my first year, more than 40% of our new consumers were word of mouth. So we were spending $0 to acquire them, 40%, almost half. And that happened because they tasted the product, they liked it, they shared it with their uh, buddies and their groups or their fraternities or whatnot. Uh, and more and more people kept coming to us. The other thing that we noticed also is that we started expanding from being the tech bros, which is really a fancy word for a young professional. And we started targeting more young professionals in different fields. So for example, one of our fastest growing groups today is young professional women who happens to be nurses or doctorate students or working in a big bank or whatnot. So we're seeing these clusters of young professionals around the country that drive our revenue. And we're doubling down our efforts to those demographics that we know are ready for our product. And I think that's the key. If you continue to do that, and if you continue to do that in a disciplined manner all the time, I think your Facebook and your Google and your Amazon spending will be 
successful and, and it will return good results, but you need to be controlled and you need to be measured. And sometimes we discover that we spend too much. So just last month we cut down because we're saying, okay, this is this Facebook spending actually is not returning to us. So we're going to dial it down and our, and actually our return starts to increase immediately. So it's small things on day to day. And I think it's a collaboration between the big app companies telling you what to do, your agency and your marketing partners advising you what to do. But at the end of the day, if you don't understand your consumer, if you don't have the data, if you don't dig it and you don't really analyze it, you, you will probably make some wrong decisions. So. I mean, I'm trying to think about rebranding to someone like me who has this idea of what Soylent was. Like, what did it look like trying to, you know, change my mind maybe on what it is versus the new consumers? Like, I think I saw two thirds of your customers are millennials or younger, which I'm like, wow, that's impressive to tap into that audience. But like, how did you go about that branding to not only go after new folks, but then also maybe reverse the mentality of like what this company was? Great question. I think. A lot of, of our experience has to do with being approachable. One of the things that I discovered early on is being an elitist or be, being like kind of a brand that is only by these people or by those people, it's detrimental to growth. One of the things that we really try to do is without changing the actual logo or the name of the company, how do we become more approachable? And I think becoming approachable as a brand is the colors that you use, the words that you use, the people who represent you, the way you talk about it, the way your marketing materials look and things like that. And the hard part is that it's a thousand small things that lead to that and that constant discovery and constant understanding of your consumer and then reapplying it and then changing it again and then changing it again and then really sticking to a brand message, which now people perceive you as more inclusive. And that may include things like we used to have these sharp images of very specific people that were great, but again, they spoke to, it's an urban, it's a very specific area, it's a very specific type of person. We moved away from images like that. We started talking about people who are just normal people, <laughs> quote unquote. And, uh, and I think that becomes more right. We started using more imagery that we never used before. We started talking about the fact that we help you manage your health, you, not us telling you how to do it we kind of restarted our educational footprint because we spent a lot of time and effort on, on educating consumers on what, what we think is good for them and then providing them with the science behind it. And I think the way we started doing that changed as well and really helped consumers feel like they're not being spoken at, they were conversed with. And I think that drives consumer engagement and that drives consumer conversation. If you go on Reddit, we either do great, so we're 11 stars, or we, everything's wrong. We're like zero stars, right? People are very passionate about it. And that's the conversation we want, right? So when we were screwing up two, three years ago with supply chain and deliveries and issues like that, like our Reddit was on fire. And today we're seeing different sentiments where people are discussing the benefits. They're discussing how they consume it. They're discussing what health means. They're discussing different alternatives to being healthy. And, and those are, that's how you create engagement. And um, there's downside to it. Because you better be on top of your game because otherwise the engagement becomes negative. But if you're on top of your game and you run a good company, this engagement just brings in more consumers and makes it better and better. And this, when it comes to thinking about Reddit, is this Soylent brand starting the message or is this a customer starting the message? And then you guys can kind of pop in, especially if you see it going south, like you're mentioning around like supply chain, then you guys can kind of pop in and answer it quickly. Yeah. Who owns that conversation? 
we do answer questions sometimes and we do direct people to the right resources. And I think for Reddit that helps because again, they don't want to be told how to think about it and how to discuss it. However, if somebody's having a delivery issue, we have better tools to help them actually figure out what's going on than Reddit because Reddit actually cannot help them with that. So we use it sometimes to help people get more resources versus versus start a discussion or influence a discussion. And to be honest, as a brand, you cannot tell people what to think or what to say. I think you deliver on the brand promise. And if people understand what you're doing and people dig the product and they really like it with how their own personal experience is going, that's what creates engagement and that's what creates a good conversation. Yeah. Do you find any platforms or channels that you're either finding new customers or you're engaging with them that maybe is kind of like a best kept secret or somewhere where you're like, we're seeing outsized returns on this platform and people aren't really paying attention to it? So our engagement is about five times industry average. If you look at Facebook and Instagram, our Reddit community is one of the bigger ones and most engaged ones is very interesting to watch. We've been trying, I would say, with mixed success, like the newer platforms, Snapchat, TikTok, even YouTube is a little bit harder to do with a beverage brand. I think for us, what we find is it's the multitude of messages that propagates around different media that puts it together. The other thing that we find is that our consumer, millennials and even younger, they hate ads. They don't click on ads, they don't watch ads, they don't pay attention. So if you use a platform as an ad-centric platform, it just doesn't work. I think the other thing that we're finding is communicating about health and nutrition and kind of good for the world messaging. I think younger consumers are more open to that versus there is a segment of consumers that are very concerned about price. And we know that. And we communicate with them this way. There's people who are very concerned about very specific health benefits. And we communicate about that. And then the mass of the consumer is really, is this thing good for me? Does it taste good? Does it make me feel good the next day? If I drink five of them in a month, am I seeing better, better performance from my body? And do I feel better? And those are the things that people think about. So we try to reinforce that kind of messaging. And I think it works if people touch it on multitude of sites and a multitude of uh, touch points versus one. So long answer, we haven't figured it out. I don't think. I like it. <laughs> yeah, you're just everywhere. Yep. For this industry, it's interesting thinking about who can have the most impact with, you know, impacting the most people. And so how do you all think about like either having a bottoms up approach where you have all these customers who are kind of driving change versus going to the top and like trying to work with, you know, the food industry and like, you know, the guidelines around that and trying to like make, you know, change and influence things at the top? Or are you solely focused on, let's just make sure everyone is aware of Soylent and knows how this can help them? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a tricky one. We're not big enough to influence governments or regulatory bodies or even big companies. Um, but for example, one of the most impactful things that I hear is, so we were the first ones to do it. And now companies like ours are called Lents, right? Because Soylent was the first one. So, oh. hey, which Lent do you do? You do? That's cool. So that's how you, how you make impact, right? And that's how you do impact change. How do we build on that, right? And how do we say... I also feel that smaller companies like ours, I mean, we're not small, we're medium-sized, but smaller compared to the big, the big food companies, 
um, we kind of have more of a license to do things that they wouldn't, right? Or we have a license to do it in a way which is less apologetic, right? And uh, like sort ingredients and types of ingredients and how we use them and how we talk about them. And I think that multiplied over many companies, I think can make a big difference. Going to Washington for me, it's not going to work. Uh, I am not, I don't have the voice. I don't have the money. I don't have the attention. However, if people hear about, hey, there is a group of companies that are doing all of this stuff and they're doing it in a, in a non-threatening way, right? It's not controversial. It's not black or white. It's not zero-sum game. I think that's where we can lead um, the discussion and, and really impact. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. So I want to shift over and hear a bit about your retail strategy, because I think you know, when Soylent started and for a while it was just e-commerce only. And then I think I saw you guys getting into retail. So tell me about what that shift has looked like. It's fascinating. This is the first company I've worked with where we went from online to brick and mortar. Yeah. Everybody else is going the other way. We're still largely an online company. Um, about 80% of our revenues are online. It's very interesting to see how you can take the knowledge from your online consumer and then you need to shift it a little bit and you need to understand better and then apply that knowledge to, to a retailer. And then you need to have the experience of working with retailers to be able to influence them in a certain way. I think for us, one thing that has really worked is one of our pillars is around affordability and complete nutrition to those that cannot curate it themselves. And uh, so our first retailer, big retailer was Walmart. And most CPG brands go, go first to Whole Foods. And then they do investor decks which show, oh, we charge 30% more for the same product. And we do all that. We did the opposite. We went to Walmart and we're proud that we have not increased prices and we're squeezing the price as low as possible. And that we're competitive actually with animal proteins versus just competitive against plant-based proteins. And I think that has resonated. And I think people understand that. So that's number one. I think the second thing that has really helped us is patience. Again, I've come and you go to any growing CPG company and they try to grow as fast everywhere as possible. And we have chosen not to do that. It's hard to do. It's, it's dangerous to do. It's expensive. So what we said is we're going to develop these playbooks with retailers and then take those playbooks and apply them to the new retailers. And that takes a little bit more time. But what that does for you is you're creating a pool type of consumption versus push type of consumption. For example, our discounting and our promotional rate is three times less than our plant-based competitors today. And we're getting the same growth rates. And, uh, and for us, this is a more sustainable way to grow. It's slower, 
but it's more sustainable way to grow because we are driven by consumers choosing us versus us pushing our product onto them. And, uh, and we have seen the success with as we onboard new retailers uh, that we're trying to do. And some of them take longer, some of them take shorter. It's great. Um, we just launched in Publix last year, late last year, and so we are on our third wave of expanding our selection with them. And it's because they like the product, they like the messaging, they like what it does on shelf. I think we generate something like more than 80% of their growth from new products. Yeah, the product is good. Yeah, the branding is good. But we also know how to work now with, with a big retailer and be a good partner to them. And I think that's a key uh, to do and the key to success in, in retail. And it's worked out. So we are the largest plant-based in Walmart, which is the largest retailer in the country. Um, we're continuing to expand, so we do very well in Target. And uh, we're now kind of going into the rest of the big retailers with our story. We launch, as I mentioned, Publix. Uh, we have a great relationship with uh, Rite Aid, with CVS. So we're continuing to kind of build on those and see where it can go. Yeah. When you were saying earlier about being a good partner with these retailers, what are maybe the top three things that you all do that delights these retailers or they're you know excited to work with you? I think we help them do a good product selection. Um, like we don't go and say, oh, I have seven products, you need to get them all. We go and say, listen, these five are going to work for you. And let's start with that. Or we say those two are going to work for you. We also try to influence as much as we can product placement and, uh, and the number of products that we do. Uh, for example, if you go on a retail shelf and there is only one bottle of certain product, chances of you picking it up are low. If there is three or four of them and they form a brand blog, uh, it's much easier for the consumers to discover it and pick it up in store. So we always try to work with that. So sometimes we actually say no to, to retailers because they're not giving us the proper, we know we're going to fail. So why do it, right? It's going to help you for two or three months, but then it just creates all kinds of issues down the road. And then I would say the last thing is um, we do bring our digital footprint and we do bring our digital knowledge uh, to kind of surround the consumer and help them out, right? So there is a number of communication opportunities to create with consumers. Um, sometimes it's harder to do for a retail consumer because they're more scattered or they're using it in a different way or or whatnot. But but I believe that we are good at kind of creating this uh, eco system around the retailer for us to be able to say, hey, did you know that Sorrent is here? Did you know that you can buy there? And I think one of the reasons that we can do that is we are truly an omni-channel company. So we actually don't subsidize channels, as I mentioned. We don't do kind of dumb deals just to be in place. So for us, if you go to Walmart and buy a product there, we're happy. If you buy it in Publix, you're happy. If you buy it on Amazon, we're happy. If you buy it on our home site, we're even happier. But for us, it's from a financial and consumer point of view, we're agnostic of where consumers go. So we actually very heavily promote our retail partners. We send consumers there. We encourage people to shop wherever they are versus wherever we want them to be. And I think that really helps. When you were shifting from e-commerce to being in retailers, did you have to change the packaging or were there certain yeah, updates you had to make to make it fit within a retail strategy? We did uh, a new format for retail. So we created a little four-pack of 11-ounce bottles versus a 14-ounce bottle, which is a bigger uh, a bigger volume. We did change a little bit the packaging. Uh, I mean, we tried to not steer too far away from traditional Soylent, which is very clean, very distinctive. We did some product call-outs, like flavor call-outs and things like that. And now we're getting into developing different packaging formats driven by retailer demand. So we, we are continuing to work on 
on product packaging. And actually, two years ago, we have our what we call a complete meal product line, uh, which is what you remember from the old days, and it's still the one that is kind of the mainstream for us. And then we created two new products, which are called Complete Protein and Complete Energy. Uh, so what they do is they allow you to modify some of the macros in the product to really fit your lifestyle. So if you require more protein or more healthy fats. Which I think is most people. <laughs> like most people need more protein. Most people which I think need is most more people, fat, right. I think. Exactly. So we did that. Yeah. And then we lowered the carbs a little bit mm-hmm. to make it more appealing. And we removed all the sugar. So it's zero zero sugar, high protein, high fat content. Uh, low carbs, and then we create the same one for energy. We said, hey, people are looking for protein. They're looking for uh, energy boost. And so we created a clean one. So it has a little bit of caffeine, but it also has uh, a bunch of what we call brain boosters, which essentially offsets the jitteriness of caffeine, but it still gives you this natural boost uh, and it delivers um, all the protein that you need. So kind of combining a breakfast with uh, your morning coffee so we're starting to move into these directions. And now with those, we actually created completely different packaging, which is 100% retail directed. You, you got to do those things. You got to be where consumer is and you got to communicate in a way that the consumer understands it. Yeah, mm, that's great. Okay, that excites me. I'm ready to try some of that now. So what's next? Like, what are you working on? Some new products you're excited about or where are you all headed? Because I, I was looking at some reports in this industry and it seems like this whole industry is exploding. There's way more interest now than ever that people are looking into these meal replacements and obviously like environmental reasons as well, sustainability. Yeah. But like where are you guys headed next? So I think, uh, I think protein consumption is one trend that is not going away. I think plant-based proteins are not going away. I think people who think about health and wellness is not going away. And all these trends are kind of coming together to a head and, uh, I think the beverage industry is very well positioned to capitalize on all of that. And we haven't done it yet. I think powders in plant-based format are ahead of us. Um, I think uh, obviously bars and things like that are ahead of us in terms of household penetration and consumer penetration. I think beverages are kind of the next wave where we're going to go. And the key is that they're all very similar. It's all a protein shake, which is milky, it's white. Many of them has to be to be consumed in a certain way. So how do we create a new a new protein beverage experience where consumers, we can expand where they go and we can go into new consumer occasions and new, uh, and new ways to do that. So I think for us, we have some exciting launches that is, uh, it's a little bit early for me to tell you. Okay. Um, but maybe towards the end of the year, we can connect and um, I can tell you. But yes, we do have uh, new beverages coming in. So I think really for us, the next products for Soylent will be to create new consumption occasions uh, within the protein space that doesn't always make it heavy, milky beverage. Uh, and it also caters to the consumer need where I believe consumers are going, where they don't want everything in the same place at the same time, all the time. Um, sometimes those things are great, like our complete meal product. Um, but many times consumers feel like, okay, I just need a, I need an energy boost today, or I just need a protein boost or I'm just here to enjoy a good beverage. And uh, so I think where the industry will go is really to create more of these consumption occasions and cater to that. And we're totally determined to to lead the way there. Yeah, very cool. So how much Soylent are you drinking every day? Are all your meals replaced with Soylent? 
right there. <laughs> they, how many how many actual meals do you have a day? <laughs> so I am I don't consume a lot of calories from food, um, but um, I do drink soda regularly. We say you can replace all meals with soda, but we don't suggest you do it. I drink it constantly. I drink the smaller format, which is the lemon ounce bottle, which is three hundred and twenty calories. Um, which fits me. Otherwise, I feel too full. But I think the benefit of Soylent and the benefit of product like ours is uh, is over time. And um, because nutrition doesn't come in today, this morning, nutrition comes in how much and what are you consuming over the period of time, weeks, months, years. And uh, and I think what we're discovering is that many consumers are very comfortable curating their own diet in a way that fits them. The other thing that we communicate to people is if you drink more things like that, that are healthy, good for you, and has everything that your body needs, over time, your actually weight and your health stabilizes. I think that's the important thing. It's not about gaining weight or losing weight. It's about getting to the right weight for you and your body. And sometimes other people may criticize it, um, but that's irrelevant. If you're healthy, if you feel good, and you're not experiencing any health issues, that is your right weight, and you can manage it via different things and starting place part in a diet. And that's how we encourage our people to think. Because at the end of the day, every single one of us has different needs and every single one of us believes that certain things are better for them. Some consumers are way on the other end. They, I would call it even self-medicate by supplements and food, right? They believe that they need 20 supplements in their diet uh, to be healthy. And some of us are on the other end. They just eat the good old steak and potatoes and think that's sufficient as well. And what we're saying is we want to educate everybody on every spectrum and to say, hey, listen, carbs are not bad for you. You do need to eat carbs. So if your diet is 100% out of carbs, long term, this is not sustainable for you. That's not good for your body weight and your health and all that. Too many carbs, same thing. It's not too good. However, we help you get the right count of everything that you need, and we help you think through it. And I believe we do it in a way that is not judgmental or here's how you shall not consume sugar right we don't say things like that but we say you can actually drink a very tasty beverage which has one gram of sugar and it tastes the same as the other beverage which is our competitor which has 25 grams of sugar so if you make that choice you're already on the way of reducing sugar in consumption and you're already on the way of getting to the right weight for yourself and that's how I think uh, we're trying to position it. Yeah, I love it. Well, Damir, this has been an awesome interview. Thank you for shifting my mindset around Soylent and telling me all the things you guys have been up to. For anyone who wants to follow up, where can people find out more about you and Soylent? So uh, we have um, Soylent.com, uh, which is uh, very robust uh, with everything that uh, everybody needs to know. And uh, we also spend quite a bit of time around uh, what we call Soylent for Good, which is our page which covers everything else that we do about education, nutrition. We support a whole bunch of communities, food banks and donations and things like that. Uh, and that site is impact.soylent.com. And I always encourage people, my blog is there, all the links to all of our products are there and everything else. Amazing. Thanks, Demir. Great being here. Thanks for your time. listeners thanks for tuning into this episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did if you haven't already please subscribe rate and review this podcast it helps spread the word and i would greatly appreciate it see you next time
thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.